chapter 15 of Hilchas Malva Vuleva, the laws of a lender and borrower. Today's parak contains seven halachas and deals with various stipulations and conditions which can be made regarding the repayment of a loan. Perak Hamisha Aser, the 15th chapter, Halacha Aleph. In this and the second halacha, the Rambam will discuss the idea of paying back a loan in front of witnesses. As the Rambam gave the general principle in the beginning of Perak Yer Aleph of the Hilchas Malva that this is a major difference between an oral loan and one done with a document. That if one makes a milva alpeh, an oral loan, he need not repay the loan in the presence of witnesses. Although there were witnesses at the time that he took out the loan, he does not have to repay in the presence of witnesses. He can merely repay the lender personally. However, should the loan have been with a document, a milva bishtaf, he is required to pay back in the presence of witnesses. And because of this difference comes another difference. That therefore, in the case of an oral loan, we will believe the borrower if he claims poraiti that I have paid back the loan. And even if he cannot bring a proof, we nevertheless believe him that since normally a loan is repaid and he claims he repaid it and one does not need witnesses to repay a loan, we therefore believe him with his claim. If, however, the loan was done with a document, we would not believe him to say poraiti, since he would be required to bring witnesses to prove that he has repaid the loan. Should he not have such witnesses, we do not listen to his claim. In these two halachas, the Rambam will deal with an oral loan, and therefore he would be believed normally to say poraiti, that he repaid. However, in this case, when the loan was given, a specific stipulation was made by the lender that he wants it to be repaid in the presence of witnesses or even more so, in front of particular witnesses. If a person lends another in the presence of witnesses, meaning there were only witnesses to the loan, but there was no document, he makes a specific stipulation, do not pay me back unless there are witnesses there. In this case, regardless of whether he said this at the time of the loan or after the loan already transpired, he is required to repay in the presence of witnesses because of the stipulation. Normally, when it comes to a written loan, one is not required to repay in the presence of witnesses. But over here, since a specific stipulation was made, he is required to hold to this stipulation. As is a law called in monetary manners, every stipulation is binding. Should the borrower have a counterclaim and he says, that's what I did and I paid you back in front of witnesses and such and such are their names. Where are they? But he claims, why can he not produce the witnesses? Because they went away to a foreign country or they died. He is believed in such a case. He merely takes a rabbinic oath, a shvuas heses, to verify that the witnesses are not present, that they died or they went to a foreign country, but that he did repay in their presence, and then he is exempt from further repayment. Shouldn't the borrower merely say, I paid you back in front of witnesses and they're not here? The commentaries say that he would not be believed in such a case. However, here he says, He names the specific witnesses that were supposed to be there. And therefore he is believed by taking a rabbinic oath. And so too, if the lender made the stipulation, only repay me in the presence of Torah scholars or in the presence of doctors. 
And later on, the borrower claims, I did pay you back in front of them. But these witnesses, the Torah scholars or the doctors that I paid in front of, died or they went to a foreign country. So too in this case, He is believed and he takes a rabbinic oath and is thereafter exempt from payment. However, if the stipulation was made, that the lender said to the borrower, only repay me in front of the following two people, and he names the witnesses that he wants to be present at the time of repayment. And later on, the borrower claims, that I did pay you back, but in front of other people. Where are they? They died or went away to a foreign country. In such a case, ain't a naman. We do not believe the borrower. Why? This is the very reason, because of this claim, that the lender was afraid the borrower was going to make. That's why he made the condition and the stipulation that he must only pay back in front of these particular witnesses. That's why. He said, Therefore, the lender said, do not pay me back unless it's in the presence of Reuben and Shimon, whoever their names are. They are standing with me. In order that the borrower should not later on be able to push the lender away and say, I paid in front of others. Other witnesses. Where are they? They went away. They're no longer present. This is exactly what the lender was afraid of. In order to avoid such a claim, he specified that the borrower must pay back in front of these particular people. Should he have not, and he is unable to produce them, we do not believe them and he must pay nevertheless. We see clearly that the Rambam holds that if the lender says, pay me in front of Reuven and Shimon, and the borrower pays back in front of two other people, should he be able to produce these witnesses, we do believe him. Because the Rambam says he's only not believed if he claims they went away to another country. Should he produce them, however, then these witnesses would be believed. Even though he violated the stipulation of the loan, nevertheless, should he have witnesses he paid, he is exempt. We'll see in Allah Chabayt that not everyone holds like that. Halacha base. Usually that we see in other cases that Amam usually decides according to that the opinion of his teachers, the Rimigash and the Rif. However, in this case, both the Rimigash and the Rif say that in such a case where the lender specified the people to be repaid in front of and the borrower claims he paid in front of others, even should he be able to produce those others to testify that he repaid the loan, even then we still don't believe him, since the lender specified that only these two people are be- to be believed. And the Ramam disagrees, and in this halacha he tells us why. It's a very interesting halacha and in terms of bibliography to determine how the Rambam took care in reaching his decisions. There are certain versions of the Gemara, that is written in them the following law. That if one tells another, only pay me back in the presence of witnesses. That I paid you back in front of such and such a person, and he names them, and says that they went to a foreign country, therefore not present. These Gemaras say that he is not to be believed. We learned in the beginning of Halacha Aleph that Ramam holds that one is to be believed in such a case. Only if the lender specified the names of the witnesses he wanted. And in such a case, later on the borrower claims that his witnesses went to another place and there were other witnesses, only then is he not believed. But as we saw in the beginning of Halacha, should he not specify which ones he wants, he is later on believed that there were witnesses, but they have left. 
However, this Gemara that Rambam quotes over here has a different version, that even in such a case, where he did not specify the witnesses, he is still not believed. But the Rambam says that it is a mistake of the scribes who copied from the Gemara, and this is the reason that the teachers, apparently referring to the Rimikash and the Rif, this is why they made the mis- their mistake according to the versions they had. How does the Rambam know that his version is correct and theirs was wrong? So the Rambam, first of all, brings a proof from bibliography, and second, a proof from common sense. I have already looked through all of the old versions that Rambam says. And I found in the older versions of the Gemara that say that he is believed in such a case. And when I was in Egypt, there came to my possession a very old Gemara, Kosov al-Agvilim, and it was written on different parchments as they used to write before this time approximately 500 years ago. This would bring it back to approximately 170 years after the Gemara was finally written down and finally closed during the, and after the days of Ravashi. So the Rambam found some of these old Gemaras, and I found two different versions which speak about this particular halacha. And both of them say that if he, the borrower claims that I paid back in front of the following witnesses, and they are not here because they went to a foreign country, he is believed. And because of this mistake, which fell in some of the versions of the Gemara, for this reason, some of the Gainim ruled, that if the lender tells the borrower, only pay me back in front of the following people, specifying the witnesses, and he paid him back in front of others. He is not believed even if he does not produce these witnesses. Excuse me, even if he does produce the witnesses that he paid back in front of them. The Rambam says in Allah Ha'alif that should the, the lender specify which witnesses he wants. In such a case that we do believe the borrower if he produces the witnesses, even if they should be other ones than the ones which were specified. Only if he claims they went to a foreign country is he not believed. However, the, many of the Gainim, a few of the Gainim at least, extrapolated from the case which the Rambam says is anyway wrong, anyway mistaken, and extrapolated to, in this case as well. Even should he produce these witnesses, they are not believed. This is also a great error that Rambam says. And the true law is, as long as we can pr- produce witnesses that he paid back in front of them, nifter, we, are, we exempt him from further payment and there is nothing to worry about at all. And this, this ruling that the Ga'anim issued, that in such a case he should be required to pay and is not believed, is also according to the versions of the Gemara they have. Where it is written, If someone told his friend, He told him to pay me back in front of witnesses, literally, that can learn halacha, they can learn mishnayas, meaning that he wants to be paid back in the presence of Torah scholars. And he went and paid back not in front of Torah scholars, in front of regular witnesses. And in such a case, the Gemara says he's not believed. This is a mistaken version that Rambam says, so too this is mistaken. The Gemara goes as follows. 
From learning this, we can see better the context of the, of the, of the question here. In the Gemara, someone came before Rav Nachman. The lender had said, pay me back in front of these people, these, in these Talmud HaChachamim, someone that is a Torah scholar. The disagreement in the Nuschois is what was answered by the borrower. The version which the Raman says is mistaken is that he, the conclusion is that he has not believed. But what did he actually claim? This is the question. The version of the mistaken Gemara's according to the Rambam, the mistaken version is that he answered that I paid it back in front of witnesses. And the Gemara then answers that he's not believed. The Rabbi Nachman says he's not believed since they are witnesses other than the Torah scholars that which, which were stipulated. However, the Rambam's Gemara says different as we'll soon see. The Rambam's Gemara says that after the lender told the borrower, pay me back in front of Torah scholars. Later on, the borrower claims that I paid him back in private, not in front of witnesses. And the Gemara says that he's not believed. And this is the way that Ambam rules. Should he claim that he did it privately, and the stipulation was that there be witnesses, certainly is not to be believed. And therefore, the Rambam says that this version, where he said, that he said he answered him, he, he answered that he would paint back in front of regular witnesses that this case he has not believed. This is a mistake in the Ramadan. It says, This is a mistake of the present versions of the Gemara. It's a mistaken version. When I found in my parchments, which the Ramadan previously discussed, that when the lender asked the borrower to pay back in front of Torah scholars, that what was answered, what was the claim of the borrower? Azal, that he went and pare beinay levain delay, that he was paid back between him and himself, meaning he was paid back in private. And that is the case that Rav Nachman answered he has not believed in. And, and the Rambam holds it to be the law, even though the present versions of the Gemara are also checked. As we explained above, he has this old parchment, and therefore he believes this to be the proper version. This appears to be the law of the Gemara. And furthermore, these are anyway a sense, seems to, seem to be sensible rulings. What was, it, what was it up to the borrower to do? What could he do in this case? The lender told him, pay me back only in the presence of witnesses. So he paid him back in the front presence of witnesses. I, the witnesses now went to the, to the far off country and they kind of produced them. So how can you hold the borrower to, to blame? Is it within the capability of the borrower to, to lock up the witnesses in prison their entire lives so they shouldn't go away? How can you hold them responsible should they go to another country? And furthermore, what can he do if the witnesses die? It's going to turn out that this borrower is going to have to keep repaying the same loan many, many times until he can finally produce witnesses. Should you, should you hold him absolutely responsible to bring witnesses with this stipulation, it's going to turn out that this testimony has the strength of that given with a document. It's going to turn out that this lender, since he said, only pay me back in the presence of witnesses, he made his loan into a loan with a document. He gave it the strength of a document simply by making the stipulation. No one would imagine such a thing that by making the simple stipulation he should be able to transform an oral loan where a person would be believed to say paraiti to a written loan where he is not believed. No one would imagine such a thing. But for sure, if he said that if the lender specified the two witnesses he wanted to, 
witness the tra- the repayment. That he himself, the borrower, has caused himself a loss by paying in front of other witnesses should they leave. In other words, the Ramam holds that the law of the Gemara applies, that he has not believed that should he disobey what the lender said, use other witnesses and they leave in such a case, he is he is not believed. But should they, he produce those witnesses and they testify, he paid, there is nothing to worry about. This is the proper way to rule and to judge that he is believed as long as he can produce the witnesses. Halacha Gimel. Let's say that the stipulation was made that the borrower will always bring the lend- will always believe the lender whenever he should say that he has not been paid. Although the law is by an oral law that should the borrower claim that he has repaid, we believe the borrower by taking a shvuas hesses. Nevertheless, the stipulation has been made in this case that the lender, the borrower should not be believed, the lender will be believed when he says that he has not been paid yet. Should this stipulation have been made and later on a disagreement develops that the lender claims that he was not paid and the borrower claims he paid, the lender is allowed to recollect, to collect this loan even without taking an oath. Even should the borrower claim that he repaid because the stipulation is binding. However, should the borrower be able to provide witnesses that he repaid, then the, bar- the lender cannot collect anything at all. Although the borrower accepted this stipulation that he would believe the lender to say that he has not been paid, nevertheless, this still does not help in the presence of testimony. Should the witnesses be valid witnesses, we believe them, and the lender cannot collect at all. We shall see in the next halacha, however, this is only if the stipulation was made in a general way that he has nemonis, that he believes the lender. Halacha dalad. Let's say there was more of a specification made. He's now love shayiyah hamalvin neman kishne edim. That the stipulation was that the borrower should believe the lender just like two witnesses, that he has as much belief as two witnesses are believed. In such a case, afal pisha hevi edim shapare. Even should the borrower produce witnesses that he did pay, nevertheless, the lender can collect his loan even without taking a loan. Since the borrower has already said he has believed as two witnesses, he is therefore believed to collect. Why shouldn't we say that along come two witnesses and cancel off the other two witnesses? And normally in such a case of hakasha, where two sets of witnesses contradict each other, we say leave the money in its chazaka, wherever it is. The Shach explains, quoting the Sefer Atrumas, that since the borrower has said that the lender is believed in his eyes, just like two witnesses, this is as if to say there are already two witnesses that he believes. And it is as if he is invalidating any future witnesses who should come to contradict the lender. Therefore, the two witnesses he himself produces, he himself has previously invalidated by saying he believes the lender. It is as if he has said he only believes the lender. Furthermore, even should he produce a hundred witnesses that he paid off in front of all of them, that all of the hundred witnessed the repayment, nevertheless, we still do not believe the witnesses, we believe the lender. Because as far as testimony is concerned, two are the same thing as a hundred. There is no difference between two and a hundred as far as testimony is concerned. 
However, if the borrower told the lender, You are believed to me just as three witnesses are believed. Why should he specify three? We know that two and three witnesses are exactly the same. This Rambam says comes to teach us something. Since the borrower did specify a specific number, therefore, should he repay in front of four witnesses, it's called repaid. In the case where he said like two witnesses, two witnesses means I believe you fully. And therefore any subsequent witnesses would be invalidated, even should a hundred come. But if he says three, three is worse than saying two. Because three means specifically three, dafka three. Two means, uh, means witnesses. You, I believe you like witnesses. And I uh, disqualify any subsequent witnesses. But if I say three, three means dafka three, should I produce four to outweigh your testimony? We will believe my four rather than you, because you're only worth three. Let's say someone borrowed money and he stated that he believed the lender just like two witnesses. How can he fix himself up? In other words, how can he prevent further repayment from repaying this loan twice? First of all, when he repays, he can tear up the document. Should the loan have been done with a document, tear up the document. And thereafter, the lender has no power with which to claim money. Or, we have the lender take an oath on himself that he nullifies any document which shows that someone else owes him money. Naming a specific person, this particular borrower. Since he, in front of witnesses, nullifies any such document, he no longer has the power to collect from it. Or he can testify on himself, not in the presence of the leva. This phrase puzzles many of the commentaries, such as the Magid, the Mishnah Lamela, who are unsure what is relevant here, why it is that it should be not in the presence of the borrower. In any case, he testifies on himself, that he has already received payment for any 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 money which was owed by such and such a person. And then we will believe him. Should later on he claim that he has not been repaid, what do we do? Should he present, present witnesses, the borrower has witnesses that he repaid? In this case, we believe the lender, because he has believed the lender like a hundred witnesses. Two was just like a hundred. However, Haidah is different than, than Firoin. To say that he believes the lender against witnesses that would say that they witnessed the repayment is different from the case of Haidah. Should there be two witnesses that testify that they heard the lender say that he repaid, in this case we would believe the witnesses over the lender, even though we say that, we, that the borrower has believed the lender in regard to, to repayment, that he was just as good as any number of witnesses that would say that they witnessed the repayment. Nevertheless, that's only as far as the law of repayment is concerned. He never said he would believe the lender over witnesses of Haidah that witnessed him admit that he has repaid the loan. Since in this case he will have witnesses for a Haidah that, that say that they witnessed him making a statement that he no longer is owed any money, this would be sufficient and he has protected himself from having to repay the loan twice. Halacha hey. Let's say the labor was not able to do any of these things and, the, and therefore he, as borrower, has had to pay back the loan twice. Is there any remedy for him after that? Let's say the lender has already claimed repayment from the borrower and the borrower has had to pay him back. 
But Torah ha Malba, and along comes the lender a second time, and he claims Shalom Nifra, that he wasn't paid. And since the, the borrower has no proof, and he has made a statement to the effect that he would believe the lender to say that he has not been paid, therefore, he has had to pay a second time as a result of this condition that he made. Should he not have made this condition, as we mentioned earlier in these halachas, he would be able to take a shvuz hesas or a rabbinic oath and be exempt from payment. Over here, because of his condition, he has had to pay twice. Is there any remedy for him? The borrower is allowed to go back and make a claim against the lender in judgment. He can take him to Dintayda. And the borrower tells the lender, I have paid you back twice. And that such and such an amount you owe me because I have paid you twice. Should the lender admit, then he must pay. And should he deny that he has been paid twice, the lender must take a rabbinic oath to deny the claim against, the claim against him that he has not been paid, and he has only been paid once. Just as in any case of Kefir Hakol, if one person has a claim against another, and the other denies it completely, he must take a rabbinic oath. So too, in this case, it is considered to be a separate case that the the borrower can claim a judgment against the lender, and should he deny the claim against them, he can force the lender to take a shavuot hesas or rabbinic oath. But can so too any similar cases. Halachavav, as we mentioned before, the only time we believe the borrower to say paraiti that he paid, should it be an oral loan, should it be a written loan, we do not believe him with such a claim. Let's say it was a written loan, and hisna halevish yeneman b'chol paraiti that the borrower made a stipulation that he should believe whenever he says he paid, even should it be a written, a written document. In such a case, not only he cannot collect should the borrower claim paraiti, but the lender is not allowed to collect using this document even from the heir in the case that the borrower himself died, and not from a buyer should somebody have bought land from this borrower, and he wants in the, result, in the event that the borrower has nothing from which he can collect, he wants to collect from the lekeach, the one that bought from the borrower after the, tran- after the loan situation took place. And since everything which the borrower had was meshubot, subject to repayment of this loan, he wants to grab away from the buyer. However, since the borrower himself is allowed to claim paraiti, we make the same claim for either the heir or the buyer. And furthermore, even if the borrower himself says that he did not pay, still, nevertheless, we will make this claim on behalf of the borrower. Why should we do such a thing? The borrower himself doesn't claim that he paid. Nevertheless, the lender is not allowed to collect using this document from the buyers. Perhaps the buyer, together with the borrower, have a conspiracy against the belongings of the lender. That the borrower will say that, that he did not pay, and therefore he will, he will send the lender to the lokeach. Perhaps the lokeach, the buyer, also doesn't have anything from which to collect. And he will not be able to collect from anyone, and they will split the profit between them, the borrower with the buyer, and the lender will be out of luck. Since we always suspect such a conspiracy, we will not even take into account the borrower's claim, that he did not pay. 
Let's say Let's say that the borrower makes a claim regarding this document. But I paid off a little bit of it. The lender says that you didn't pay any of it. Normally we would consider this a maitiba mixos, that the one person claims that you owe me a lot, and the borrower says, I only owe you a little. It's normally considered a maitiba mixos, the part where he agrees he owes he must pay, and the other part he must take shvua satayda, oath by Torah decree. Nevertheless, in this case, Meshalim HaMixos Shahidabai, he merely pays the amount that he agrees that he owes, Venish Meshvuas Hases. And he only is required to take a rabbinic oath, not the oath of the Torah. Why? Shahari Hamine. Because in this case, the lender has, has agreed to believe the borrower. Since he has believed him over here, he would not suspect him to the extent that we require the, lend, the borrower to take a Torah oath. He only must take a rabbinic oath. And furthermore, he's no love. Should the borrower have made the stipulation that he be believed even to not make a rabbinic oath, ain't an ishba. He doesn't even have to take this rabbinic oath, since he has made a stipulation that even that sort of oath he would not have to take. He is exempt. Now, the final halach of the parak halacha zayin. He's not malvish Let's say that the lender made a stipulation that he should be able to collect even without making uh, taking an oath. Normally the law is that if somebody takes away mother, money from another, he must be a nishpavaneto. First he must swear in an oath, similar to a teta oath, and only then can he take away money from the other. Let's say that in this case the malva has made a condition that he is going, wants to collect even without taking such an oath. The stipulation is binding and he collects even without taking an oath. However, should the borrower have died and he is coming to collect from the heirs who have inherited the estate, in this case, first he must take an oath and only thereafter collect. But since normally the law is that one must swear in order to collect from any orphans, so too in this case. However, should he, however, stipulate it that he wants to collect even in the case where he dies and collect even from the air without taking an oath, he nevertheless is allowed to take it without, without making an oath, even though it should be an orphan, since he has stipulated that even from the orphan he wants to not have to take an oath, he can collect in such a form. Now that Ammon deals with what sort of land the lender can collect that belongs to the borrower. There are three different types of land in general. We divide them into EDs, the best land, Bainanis, the intermediate, and Zibudis, which is the worst of the land. By law of the Torah, should the borrower not have money, he is repaid from the Zibudis, from the least of the land. However, our sages, in order to encourage lending, decreed that he should be able to collect even from the Bainanis, from the intermediate. Let's say he has made a stipulation that if he is not paid, he wants to collect from the Edis. So too, if the lender makes a stipulation that he wants to collect from the Edis from the best of the land. He is allowed. It is a binding stipulation and he collects from the best of the land. Even from the heirs of the estate. Which the general reason for all of these laws is that any stipulation regarding a monetary matter is binding. However, should he come to collect from the buyer, meaning that Reuven has lent money to Shimon, and after the loan was taken out, Shimon has sold something of his to Levi. In this case, Reuven now wants to collect from Levi since Shimon has no money. In this case, 
Reuben is only allowed to collect if he makes an oath. Even though he has stipulated he wants to collect without the oath, nevertheless, he is only allowed to collect with an oath. Because this one is not allowed to make a stipulation to lose somebody else's money. Shimon wants to stipulate that, that Reuben can collect even without making an oath. However, Shimon cannot stipulate in order to have Levi lose his money. That Shimon should be able to make a condition that Reuben can collect from, from Levi without taking an oath. This, Shimon has no power to do. Regarding himself and regarding the inheritors of his estate, he can make such a condition, but not regarding someone else. And therefore, should Reuben wish to grab the land away from Levi, he must first take an oath.